patterns, permutations, time, rhythm, coordination, meter, concentration, tempo, modulation, groove. Welcome to the Drum Mantra Podcast. This is Rich Stitzel, and it's time to go deeper with your practice. Hey, what's up everybody? Rich here. Welcome back to the Drum Mantra Podcast, episode 17. Um, sorry, it's been a while since I've been here. I have been, I am an admittedly a, uh, a workaholic and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. I grew up in, uh, in a house of a very, very busy musicians. My parents are both professional musicians. My dad, um, was a college professor when I was a kid. He still is, but, uh, he was a director of jazz studies at a college and also uh, a jingle writer. So he was writing jingles and, um, you know, in the studio all the time, producing sessions and stuff. And he also was a big band writer. So he was writing charts for big bands and writing jingles for commercials and teaching, uh, you know, directing bands at a college and then also playing gigs. So that he was busy. I mean, that's that's serious. Everything I named right there is a career on its own and he was doing all of it and it's not you know when you're a musician you don't do all these things so you can put food on the table I mean that's a byproduct of it but you know now that I've been in this game for 25 years I'm kind of a uh, kind of a spitting image of my dad in a way what what the deal is you just you're just passionate about everything you love to teach, you love to play, you love to write, you love being in the studio, you love to produce, you love to hang with musicians. It's just all part of the, the whole picture as a musician. And um, I think I've mentioned this before, but I'll mention it again because I love the headline and I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, first of all, a musician to me is an entrepreneur. You are a self-employed artist. And to learn how to play the game in a way that you can succeed, you know, in financially, for instance, or whatever, um, you have to understand some business aspects. So I look at every musician as an entrepreneur. You have to sell yourself. You have to be prepared. You have to create your own product and then figure out how to sell it. I mean, if you're writing songs and putting them on a CD, the next step is you're booking gigs and you're finding management and you're finding distribution and you're trying to get on a tour. And it's it's all your business. So I think in this day and age, finally, musicians are starting to realize that. Um, there was a very long time where uh, musicians and especially jazz musicians were just, you know, I grew up around jazz musicians and I saw them as a kid and here's here's my picture of a jazz musician from when I was a child and I'm talking about you know my whole life like literally my grand my grandfather's a professional was a professional jazz saxophone player who founded the International Association of Jazz Educators so he was hanging with all the big jazz guys of those days Stan, uh, Stan Kenton and and I'm just trying to think of these names uh Bunky Green and oh Louis Belson and Ed Shaughnessy, Ed Thigpen, Richie Cole, Artie Lawrence, Paquito de Rivera. I mean, there's just so many kind of in my mind just famous people who were jazz musicians back in the in the days when I was a child. Like I was eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years old, hanging out with you know not hanging out, but like on the periphery watching my grandfather hang with these musicians who were like the most famous jazz musicians at the time who were also educators. 
And I always saw jazz musicians in that light. All those jazz musicians were super happy. They were celebrating. They were very uh, loving. And they were kind of humanitarians. I remember at an early age just sort of observing the the kindness and the compassion of the jazz musician. Now, I'm talking about jazz musicians who are also educators. Um, who And most of the jazz musicians were, I mean, the absolute upper echelon, the upper, upper tier of people like Miles. I mean, there are very few super high-level famous jazz musicians who also who weren't educators. You know, I was trying to think of people, and even Tony Williams. I mean, Tony would do clinics. I I went to Tony Williams cl- drum clinics, and you know, so many, so many musicians in, in the jazz world are educators. And so my observation was super loving, super compassionate people, super smart people. I mean, jazz musicians, especially in those days and today, it's a little different. There's a little bit different vibe today, but I'll talk about that maybe if it hits my stream of consciousness. But um, I just feel like like the jazz musicians of you know from the 70s and the 80s they really considered themselves sort of ambassadors kind of human ambassadors to the world uh through the arts in the in the late 70s jazz was declared America's art form and i remember my grandfather received a plaque from congress um because he was one of the people on the team of guys who were who basically fought to you know, quote, legalize jazz education in schools before my grandfather and whose name is Matt Betton and one of his closest friends, Stan Kenton and Gene Hall, who was the first uh, uh, band director at North Texas once the jazz program began. I I believe University of North Texas used to be North Texas State University was the first school in the country to have a jazz studies program. And that was... um, that was due to my grandfather and Stan and Gene and uh, Leon Breeden. Okay, you know, I'll, I don't have the full history in my mind anymore. But uh, anyway, so I grew up in this family of jazz musicians. My mom also is a band director and a copyist. She was a copyist for Jensen Publications. So if you've ever read a, a jazz band chart that's from Jensen Publications, you're looking at my mom's handwriting. She was the calligraphy artist as well as the um, music copyist. So I saw a lot of angles of the business at an early age from different different angles than some of my friends. Some of my friends have, uh, you know, rock musician families. They grew up in families where their parents were like on tour with big pop acts. And they have a totally different view of the world than I did. You know, I grew up in this, in this bubble of uh, jazz educators. So I think the point I'm trying to make here is how hard... Everyone works in that world. My grandfather worked around the clock. It was insane. I mean, he had the Jazz Educators Press, so he was putting out a magazine. He was the editor. He was the executive director of the National Association of Jazz Educators. So he was always planning the conferences that were happening. Uh, He was a co-founder as well. Um, He had a big band. Uh, My grandmother was the helper for him. She was the the first secretary for the organization. And I mean, they just worked around the clock. And the reason they were able to work around the clock tirelessly is because they loved what they they did. They were passionate about it. One of the huge points I'm, I want to make is passion. I mean, the way to be successful at something is you have to be so passionate about it that time disappears. You do not care. You are just in it. You can't wait to wake up because you get to start again. And when you go to sleep, you hope that you dream about it. 
That's what I'm talking about when I talk about passion. And so I grew up around a lot of passionate people who happened to be jazz musicians and music educators. Uh, the quote that I was talking about a minute ago is, this is a paraphrase, it was entrepreneurs, why they spend 80 hours a week so they can avoid working 40 hours a week. And it's just such an important thing to understand that a lot of people are in the world and have a job, and a lot of people have this job just because it's what they do from nine to five. They don't like it. They don't care about it. It's just how they make their living. And then I think I think what happens is that kind of numbs numbs a person out a little bit. And so it's five o'clock, you get out, you get out of work, you go home or you go meet some friends and you hang and you might watch a, a game, maybe watch television. I don't know. You, you, you're doing activities or you're booking a golf date so you can go play golf with your buddies or, um, you know, whatever. But all of a sudden what happens is the day is gone and you haven't dedicated, I'm saying you as in that person, that invisible imaginary person I'm talking about hasn't accomplished anything towards any kind of creative movement. And I think that's fine. I mean, if the world, if every single person in this world were fully dedicated to, to the passion of creating art and music is this place would be crazy. Um, so there are all kinds of people in the world and everyone is doing exactly what they are supposed to be doing. Sometimes, however, there is a person who might have a full-time job, but also might have their favorite hobby is to play music. So they work nine to five and then they get off work and then they go to their band rehearsal and they jam out with their friends and they maybe book a gig every once in a while. And it's all about having fun. That's awesome. I think that that is a very healthy way to be a musician because unless you're in it full on and dedicated, it can be a very challenging path. However, these kinds of people have sort of started to pop into my world a little bit. The person with a nine to five job who is passionate about playing music and they want to do that and they have a band, but they want to get better. They want to improve their game. And so um, sometimes they reach out to me and uh, we have conversations about this and they want to figure out how to get to that next step, uh, even though they've filled their calendar with their life. And I think that's great. I think there's a little inkling, a little spark of inspiration that could could really spread. So um, <clears throat> well, I was going to start, start off by apologizing for not doing this podcast for a while because I've been waking up at seven o'clock in the morning, going straight to the studio and practicing and writing until basically I can't even move anymore until nine or 10 at night, uh, straight for days on end, trying to edit this book and, uh, practicing all the exercises and also being inspired by some other things I've been seeing on social media, but I'll get, I'll get back to that in a second. Um, I want to make this point because I, I think it's very important to be to to first of all find that that spark of inspiration where you the light bulb turns on for a second and you go oh man I really want to dedicate my time to this like maybe you saw you're the nine to five person you're in your band you saw a video of you know Steve Gadd and they did something that just made you go oh my gosh that's amazing if I could do that I would be I would I would be a better player. And so um, there's that little spark of inspiration. Oh my gosh, Steve Gadd, who has been a spark of inspiration to 
pretty much every drummer that's ever lived in the last 30 or 40 years. So what do you do with that spark of inspiration? Because now you have to figure out how to parlay that energy into focused practice. That is the challenge, my friends. How do you take inspiration and channel it into dedicated, time-consuming practice without becoming distracted, intimidated, or discouraged? To me, the secret is, once again, it lives in the world of passion, the world of just determination and passion. There, there, it's a combination. Um, but the, to back up for a second, we need to simplify what that even means. And really, the essence of what I what I've found is when I am most productive, at, when I when I am able to to develop or to overcome a challenge the, the quickest. And here's the irony: is when I'm not trying to. So to get in this mental space of not trying to be anywhere but where you are. And this comes to the, uh, this kind of fits into that, the famous quote, it's about the, it's about the journey, not the destination. Very true. So how do you, you know, sometimes you hear, hear a quote like that and you go, what does that mean? I mean, how do you, what does that mean? You're, it's about the journey and not the destination. I want to get better. I want to be in this band. I have to practice. So my, my, the destination is, is important. It's my band. You know, I want to do this gig. Well, yeah, but we need to simplify things and realize that if the gig doesn't happen, if the band doesn't do this, if these end results don't materialize, are you going to think that the time that you spent in the practice room was in vain? Because if you do, then you're not quite in the right mental space. Because the practice room, in the moment that you're in there and practicing, if you can focus completely on what you're doing in that moment, without going, this is going to help me later, this is going to make me blah, blah, blah. Just enjoy the moment of being in that room and practicing the exercise that you're practicing. Really being aware, conscious, and focused on the movement of your hands, the accuracy of the strokes, the the comfort of the coordination. There are a lot of levels when you slow down and you start to look at the moment that you're in. And then all of a sudden, you experience some pretty nice kind of elated joy just from being in the practice room and then you leave the practice room and you're and you try to stay focused on what you're doing next and that's the way to really get the essence of of joy and satisfaction out of any experience in life is to to be present in the moment that you're in it's so much harder than it is to say than to do (laughs) i am guilty party number one on this. My mind is constantly, if I'm sitting and eating, I am not sitting there enjoying my food bite by bite. I am thinking about the next thing I have to do. And I try to catch myself because it's important when you're not mentally in the same space that you're in physically, it creates stress, tension, and fatigue. So the trick is to practice being in the moment no matter what it is that you're doing. So if you're at your job, you're focusing on your job only. And then when you leave your job and you go to the studio to practice, you focus on practicing only and exactly what it is that you're doing. Not, I have 10 things to practice, let me get through these. It's like, stay in the moment, stay in the moment, stay in the moment. You will improve vastly and much quicker 
if you can stay focused on the moment in everything that you do. I mean, you know, sports people talk about that all the time. If you're playing golf, you've got a completely, I mean, it's a mental game. It's not a, it's not a physical game. It's not like, okay, I need to hit these hundred golf balls. So my, so my drive is better. It's like, is the rhythm happening? Am I, am I, am I lightly holding the club? Is my physical motion fluid enough to connect with the ball in a way that it just, you know, just rockets off the club with no effort and no feeling. You know, it's a mental game, so you have to stay present to stay men- to stay in that game and to and to have success. Same thing with anything, tennis, drumming, doesn't matter. So that brings me to <clears throat> one of these questions. They're piling up. I'm so sorry I haven't been able to get to them again. I, uh, I'll, I'm going to do a little little plug right here and I'll, I'll probably do it again later. I've been spending hours and hours and hours getting the book, the primary series ready for print. My hope is that it will go to print in just a few days. And I just want to make sure everything's right. The writing, I want it to make sure that it, it's solid and the exercises, I want to, I'm, I'm playing through all the exercises to make sure that they really make sense and they really feel good. And, and another aspect to the whole th- book is I'm writing um, musical play-alongs that go with the entire book. So you can, you know, you can also get the audio play-alongs that support each of the exercises. So as soon as you, you're playing along to a play-along, you're in it. You're playing along to music. You're doing this, you know, kind of intricate polymetric exercise. And the next thing you know, the music stops and wow, you just spent five minutes and it really flies by, which is awesome. When you're present, everything flies by. Time just flies. Although when you're in the moment, it feels like time stands still. So there's a lot of things to think about. I think, you know, it's important just to be thoughtful, be aware, and, and um, you know, always always question and look at your experience in life. Just every, every moment, try to wake up a little more to it. Don't let yourself be dragged down a, a, a blind path of things just coming into your, into your life, and you're just going, okay, I'm at a restaurant and the TV's on, so I'm just going to stare at the TV, you know, like, like try to wake up. Wake up, pull yourself into finding out who you really are deep down and you know, deep, get, get down to the richness of your experience by being present in the moment. I'm not saying that's bad to watch TV or whatever. Um, I don't do it. <laughs> I do a little bit. I watch about 20 minutes of Star Trek every night. Um, I can't get through a whole episode, but uh, I do watch about 20, 25 minutes of Star Trek, it's one of the only things I can I can deal with. Um, okay. So here's here's a here's a question. Robert in Washington. He says, I've been listening to the Tim Ferriss show a bit lately, and he has me thinking a lot about daily routines or rituals for drummers. <laughs> First of all, Tim Ferriss is a superhuman and uh an amazing practitioner of kind of what I'm talking about. Like the way to to really gain the most uh deep richness out of your experiences in life is to focus in way down on the micro of what's happening and and dedicate yourself to whatever it is that you are engaged in. Tim has been able to to become a master of so many things from from like languages to I mean he's a intellectually he's he's a genius and business wise he's he's a genius and uh he's dedicated himself to to kind of becoming a superhuman is it's definitely an inspiration to me as well. Um, he he meticulously maps out most of his day, 
And so Gary in Washington asked if he'd like to hear more about my daily routine. And <laughs> I feel like, oh my gosh, I, I'm like a, a, a messy whirlwind, like pig pen on the peanuts with the dust cloud flying around me at all times. Unfortunately, I feel almost reckless in my dedication. I treat things with a lot of intensity. Like I said in the beginning, I'm a workaholic and I, I dive in and I push myself until I just can't move anymore. And I think that's a that's a little bit of a, a dangerous place to be because what happens is I can get, you know, four good solid 10-hour days of, of focused writing and practice. And then on that fifth day, I'm so wiped out that I can, that I'm like, I'm useless. Like today, I didn't, I didn't even get to the studio until 11 because I was just, I was just too exhausted to move. I'm here now and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll push myself back into it, but typically um, I wake up around seven and I try to, I try my best. It's usually not too successful, but I, my days are better when I avoid social media first thing in the day. So on a really perfect day, I get up about seven, uh, take my daughter to school, come back, go straight to the studio, turn the program that holds my book and turn on Ableton and I go back and forth. So I'll, I will work on the book and I will edit until it just feels like, okay, I'm not, I'm not focused anymore. And then I will go over to Ableton. I will open the book. I have a printed version of the book as well that I'm working on. So I'll, I'll open to a, to a chapter in the book and I'll turn Ableton on, which is a, a music, uh, digital audio workstation program and I will start a composition and it will be based around the exercises in the book. And so I might get through one or two compositions, uh, play alongs. And then I'm kind of, you know, my, my, my eyes are tired from staring at a screen for, this has probably now been um, maybe three hours into my day. And then I will, uh, practice a section of the book, or maybe I will pull up a transcription that I've done Lately, I've been inspired from, by some some things on Instagram, so I might um, I transcribe this uh, Johnny Mather little pat two hand pattern that he did that was really awesome. So I transcribe that, and I will practice it. Or I recently transcribed an Ari Honig uh, four measure long pattern, and I will practice that. And I can usually get about an hour in of uh, intense practice. Uh, another another drummer, uh, Steve Lyman did a little challenge the other day where he said, uh, play paradiddles, accenting the first partial, which would be the downbeats, the second partial, which would be the E's, and then the ands, and then the uhs in 16th notes, and then sextuplets, and then 32nd notes, um, and then and then back to sextuplets, and then back to 16th notes. And I realized that if you're going to be able to play that and get it onto, uh, you know, if you want to get that on Instagram, you have to get it in under a minute, which means 82 BPM to go through the whole cycle of four beats per permutation. 30 second notes at 82 is pretty hard to get those uh, final two accents out in the paradiddles. So I'll practice that. I'll practice that for as long as my hands can handle it, you know, 10, 12, 15 minutes. By then, I'm about four hours into my day, and I will then take a lunch break, and my wife and I will usually go eat lunch um, at a, a restaurant in our neighborhood. Just grab a, we're vegetarian, so we'll grab a, a good solid vegetarian meal with tofu and vegetables or, you know, something like that. And then I'll go back, and I'm back. Uh, actually, to tell you the truth, after I eat lunch, I usually go and take about an, uh, an hour 
nap, maybe even 90 minutes. And um, I do that every day because it's sort of like I need to split my day up and I need to split it up with a clear mind. So I will take a super solid nap. Now we're at about 1.30 in the afternoon and I will go back to the studio and do everything again, just like I did before. If I don't have a gig that night, I will usually work until uh, 8.30 or 9 and then go home for a final meal and a little bit of Star Trek and then crash and do it again. If I do have a gig, I usually won't work after my nap, but I will work a little longer before I take a nap. So I'll work until, I won't take a nap until about 3, until about 4.30, and then I'll start kind of getting ready for my gig. Um, there are some days coming up where I'm about to start doing a, an outreach residency. I do a program for uh, an organization called Ravinia where I go into elementary schools and work with kind of the underprivileged uh, elementary school kids of Chicago in a couple different schools. I think there are about 12 artists in this program that go out. We we reach out to about, I think, about 35 schools, and we'll see about 3,000 kids. Um, basically, I'll visit five times to a school and, and talk to them about classical music or talk to them about jazz, or we'll, uh, they'll read a book, and then I'll help them write songs about the book. So anyway, that that will be taking up some time, some some pretty serious time. It'll be two days a week, eight hours, uh, two days a week, six hours and that'll start basically in February and go till the end of May. So once that starts, my time is a little more limited. I I basically, I'll probably play three gigs a week, three to five gigs a week. Some, sometimes it's way more. Sometimes it's up, upwards of, you know, every night. Sometimes it's two in a day. So, but averages three, let's say three to four and then teaching. And so that's at night. And then teaching, I'll be teaching two days. So all the rest of the time is mine to create. I've been very fortunate to, you know, kind of build a situation where I definitely have 40 to 50 hours in a week free that, you know, most people would be at a nine to five job. And so I dedicate that time to doing what I do, what I just walked you through. I do that every day and it varies. You know, I'll, I write I'll write a lesson for the website or I'll film an exercise and I spend a lot of time, you know, sometimes, some days I'm spending five or six hours just editing video um, for the website and then I'll take little clips out of the lessons for Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. So there's just a bunch of, you know, little jobs that I've created for myself as an entrepreneur um, and so I just sort of treat it like it's my, it's my um, corporation, Rich Ditzel Music drum mantra. I mean, those are kind of my brands and I just dedicate my time to doing that. So there, there's a long winded answer to what my day looks like and my, my, my morning routine. Um, Gary also asks about yoga and meditation. I, I try to do yoga. I'm not very good at having the discipline to get there as often as possible. And if you knew my situation, you would know that that's ridiculous because I own a yoga studio. (laughs) Well, my wife does. And uh, my studio is literally underneath the yoga studio. So a class will be happening and I'll be downstairs working, mainly because I'm trying to get this book done and I'm really trying to focus. However, that being said, I will tell you that when I do yoga, my mind is clearer. I'm I'm able to concentrate better. My body is more relaxed. 
I'm more in control of my body. So when I practice, it's much more fluid and comfortable. And I also can think more clearly when I'm writing. So the benefits of yoga are amazing. I But finding a, finding a yoga teacher in a yoga class that is right is... Um, that can be a challenge depending on where you live in the in the world, in the country, in the world. As far as I, I, I recommend a very light yoga. Um, I love restorative yoga. My wife calls it sleepy yoga because you're just laying there and kind of doing some minimal stuff. Uh, vinyasa yoga, which means flow. So you're going from one pose into the next. That can be pretty intense. It's more like a, uh, it's a little bit more of a workout. The thing with yoga is you never push yourself. You always do what's comfortable for you without trying to prove to anyone that you can do anything fancy or trying to show the teacher that you can go further than you actually should be going. Um, A really good yoga teacher will know and will be able to kindly let you know that it's not about anything but being in the moment and, and just being where you are personally. Um, yoga for me is much more of a mental thing. Uh, it's much more of, a, I guess I'll use the word spiritual. It's a training on being present. So we're kind of looping back to the beginning here. It's a, uh, you know, yoga is when you're in a pose, you, you'll find that you're focusing on yourself. You're focusing on the pose. You're focusing on um, where your hands are, what it feels like your breath. Number one thing in yoga and in life, focus on your breath. Always pay attention to your breath. If you do that, you'll always be present. That's a good little trick. So, um, you know, particular stretches and things for arms and hands and legs for drummers. I'm going to actually have my wife come into a podcast and talk about that kind of stuff. Cause I, I don't know. I, I am, I've never had an injury playing drums. I have had, uh, I did have an injury twisting a suitcase the wrong way getting onto an airplane and I caused tennis elbow from a suitcase um, and my my elbow was very sore for almost a year and I could play but as soon as I was done playing I could barely drive I mean it was very painful but I've never actually had a drumming injury besides you know blisters and little bruises from practicing too much but I don't, I don't hit super hard, and the reason I don't hit hard is because, to me, that's the job of the sound crew to get my drums to be heard um, out there. And I also, I just, I've never been into, um, never been into playing hard. I like playing soft. I like playing with dynamics. I mean, you know, I don't think that you have to kill the drums to get a good sound. I think, I think it's a very huge challenge to hit the drums moderately and get a good sound, get a good sound. You can really finesse an instrument and get all kinds of sounds out of it, but it's harder because to be consistent when not hitting hard, you have to be very uh, conscious of how you're playing. You know, you can go into the studio and, and bash the drums really big time, and it will record more consistently because you're you're redlining the thing because you're just using all your force. But if you're playing at a moderate, you know, strength level, uh, you have to be very consistent to to make sure that your levels are hitting the same every time. So I like I like that. I love the molar stroke. I think it's a very important stroke, and I use it all the time in everything I do. Um, I just love the fluidity of it. I love the relaxation of it. Um, one of my favorite things that my teacher in college said, uh, I studied with Ed So for a while at North Texas, and I was concerned about my grip. And I said, how, how tight should I hold the stick? And he said, just tight enough so it doesn't fall out of your hand. And I, I constantly am thinking about that. And even when I was teaching a bunch, I would tell my students if, they, if a stick would fall out of their hand, I would say, that's great. You're relaxed. So 
you know, there's a, there's a, just, just again, being, being conscious. I mean, if a, if a tennis player was squeezing their racket and, and, and tensing their arms really hard, they wouldn't survive. Or, you know, when you watch a, a great athlete, they're very fluid in how they move. It's almost like a, it's almost like the concept of the molar stroke kind of goes, goes into all, all physical activities. Just, it's just a, the idea of fluidity and relaxation that, comes from it and you can you can see some of the some of the great drummers who really display that uh dave weckel i mean watching him play he's so fluid super fluid Vinny has become more fluid in his playing he was pretty intense back in the zappa days and and a little bit after that but his uh his molar stroke and his fluidity is i mean he's he's a master probably one of the best ever both of those guys uh, you see it a lot you just the the fluidity uh bernie dressel has that fluidity. So many drummers. I'm not going to start naming guys because there's way too many and I don't want to leave anybody out. It's all about, you know, staying relaxed. That's that's the deal. But I will have my wife on and we'll talk about some some different um, arm movements and stuff to, to stretch the muscles for the wrists and the arms. Okay, and then the last part of Robert's question in Washington is uh, meditation. How and if I meditate. Okay, I kind of talked about meditation in the beginning of this, and it might be veiled, and it might be, you might not have even noticed, but here's the deal with meditation. There's a lot of different ways to meditate. The main point of meditation is to be present, and to be present means to not be attached to your thoughts, and a great way to not be attached to your thoughts is to focus yourself, your, your mind on something, and so a great thing to focus your mind on is your breath. So if you can sit quietly, breathe naturally, Focus on your breath. Like I'm talking, I mean, when I say focus, I mean in, out. Like when you breathe in, think the word in. And when you breathe out, think the word out. Or just be aware that it's there. Thoughts are going to bombard you like crazy, like they always do, but you're going to be aware of them more. They're going to mean less to you. You're not going to be as emotionally attached to them. That's the goal. So, when a you know a thought comes up, it's like, oh man, I need to pay this bill, um, and that might stress you out. Just realize it's a thought. Let it go. Let it go. It it's not it's not like some it's going to solve the the problem that you think you might have about it, but it's you're going to be able to just relax in the moment. Relax in the moment. So something comes up. Oh man, I'm hungry. Okay, let it go. Just let the thought go. Keep focusing on the breath. And you continue to do that for, you know, give yourself a time limit, three minutes. You'd be amazed how hard it is to sit and focus on your breath and let your thoughts go for three minutes. Eventually, five minutes, ten minutes. I mean, there are people in India that have been meditating around the clock for years, and they're literally dedicated to only meditating. There's a lot of implications and a lot of uh, thought behind what meditation does. And without going into all that here, I, I might talk about it more in a different podcast, but the main point is it will calm you down. It will put you in a, in a space of relaxation. You will have spent two or three minutes being present, being more present than normal. And when you're present, like I said, fatigue comes from doing an activity and your mind is somewhere else doing a different activity in your mind. You're not aligned. And to align yourself with what you're doing in each moment, fatigue is eliminated, or it's lessened at least, because you're in harmony mentally and physically. You're in accord with yourself. Okay, So the training of meditation, it's not like 
A lot of people think meditation is like prayer and they think it's related to a religion and it's not. It is a way to tune yourself to be more focused, have more energy, and to be more productive as well as creative. And creativity is a whole other subject as well. But when your mind is aligned with your body, when you're in the moment, when you're focused in the present moment, and you are not taken hostage by your thoughts, so your thoughts come, you let them go. Your thoughts come, you let them go. When you can get into that space of of, uh, quietness with your thought, you're focused on your breath, everything is calm. Now you've allowed yourself the opportunity to open up that infinite unknown space where creativity comes from. So I know that gets pretty deep, something that I will talk about more maybe, but just, you know, think about what I just said and give it a try see how it feels. Okay, well, this was a long one, and uh, I had fun talking. I don't know if if we got anywhere with it, but um, hopefully you enjoyed it, and I look forward to talking with you again soon. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to the Drum Mantra Podcast. Your time and attention is much appreciated. I would love it if you went to the iTunes store and left a rating, and please share this with anybody that you think would like to go deeper with their practice. Take care.